0: Growing up, my religious identity was half-Jewish. The other half never really got identified. <laughs> my religious education had gaps in a lot of places. So naturally, I filled in the blanks with what I observed in the popular culture around me. By elementary school, I was really trying to figure out Christianity since this was the faith of most of our neighbors in my Kansas suburb. From the clues I'd gathered, it seemed like they believed in God, as my Jewish friends did. But in addition to God, there was Jesus, who was God-like and also good-looking. <laughs> and Santa Claus, who monitored behavior and brought gifts. And the Easter Bunny who not only laid eggs, but these eggs were made of chocolate. (laughs) Needless to say, there were many nuances of Christianity and theological terms that I did not encounter until later in life. One of the first times I remember encountering the concept of sacrament was actually a joke, that the only Unitarian Universalist sacrament is drinking coffee in the social hall after the service. (laughs) We are pretty serious about our coffee but if we can step outside the realm of caffeinated beverages for a moment, what might sacrament mean for a Unitarian Universalist? In Christian thought, which is the root system of Unitarian Universalism, sacrament is an outward sign of an inward grace. A sacrament is an action that connects people with God's blessings and sacred and saving grace. However, though our religious tradition has its roots in Christianity, we no longer identify as a Christian denomination. What might sacrament mean in our tradition, Unitarian Universalism, a religious movement that is more apt to see people as imbued with original blessing rather than original sin. What might sacrament mean to us as a people who come from universalists, who believe that all souls eventually come back into harmony with the divine, that we don't need protection from eternal damnation? What might it mean to us as a people who come from Unitarian transcendentalists, who saw the holy everywhere? In the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson, We are part and parcel of God. We are connected to everything. A direct connection to the holiness of life is our birthright. But if sacrament is a visible sign of invisible goodness and holiness, and not some special medicine that protects us from sin, then sacrament could be understood as anything that extends or increases grace. It could be any exchange that imparts a sense of goodness and wholeness of the spirit that connects us with the sacred. And all our living is an opportunity for this kind of exchange, an opportunity to awaken to the sacred wholeness within ourselves and the sacred wholeness of which we are a part. Theologian Kay Northcutt writes, our lives become sacrament whenever we bring the full force of our attention. We bring the full force of our attention, and walking the dog becomes sacrament. Packing the kids' lunches becomes sacrament. Breathing in the cool morning air becomes sacrament. We bring the full force of our attention, and we engage with the sacred in the mundane locating ourselves in the ever-moving flow of the big, holy, amazing web of life of which we are all a part. And yet, as Tom Hennon notes in our reading this morning, for some reason we like to see days pass, even though most of us claim we don't want to reach our last one for a very long time. We examine each day before us with barely a glance and say, Nah, this isn't the one I've been looking for. And we wait in a bored sort of way for the next when we are convinced our lives will start for real. But of course, today is not a dress rehearsal for some real life in the future. Today is as real as life is going to get. And if we bring the full force of our attention to it, we see the holiness in the everyday begin to shine and perhaps we discover that the treasure we've been dreaming about, searching for, that real life, is right before us. Or in the case of Rabbi Isaac, right behind the stove. We bring the full force of our attention, and our very lives become sacrament. And this feels good, pausing to notice the beauty and the blessings in the mundane. And it is also interesting and beautiful in its own way to notice the things in life that are just neutral. I bring the full force of my attention, and I notice the muddy puddle, or the other people in the waiting room, a pile of laundry. And I see that this, too, is part of the sacred whole. I don't need to judge it. But what about those times when the mundane feels not positive, nor neutral. What do we do when we bring the full force of our attention and what we experience is complicated, sad, painful, even disgusting? We bring the full force of our attention and we witness yet another act of racialized violence or harassment in the news or in our neighborhood. We see Michael Brown's family grieving on the anniversary of his murder. We bring the full force of our attention to a loved one, and we see a debilitating depression, or self-destructive patterns, or an abusive relationship that can't seem to end. We bring the full force of our attention to our own bodies and lives, and we see our limitations, our conditions, our illnesses, or the ways that we haven't respected the one vessel that we've been given to live our entire lives within. Sometimes our location in the ever-changing wholeness of life is more in the broken places than in the beautiful ones. The summer before I went to seminary, when I had moved away from Minneapolis but hadn't yet landed in Chicago, I stayed with my parents for a summer. One morning in June, the phone rang, and on the other end of the line was the small, frightened voice of my 90-year-old grandmother, who lived four hours away, alone in a small house in a small town. She had fallen, and she was scared. And even though she had a support network where she lived, she called us first. On some level, she must have known that this was the beginning of the end, that relying on friends and caregivers where she lived had become too much, and she needed her family. My grandmother was an incredibly modest, humble person who abhorred any extra attention or even the thought of inconveniencing anyone. And in her own quiet but very firm way, she also insisted on staying in her home, despite the various options and pleas that her adult children had offered throughout the years. She was also one of the kindest, most gentle people I have ever met. I have no idea what it was like to be in her shoes, and I don't share this story this morning to pass judgment, I can only imagine that her choices made sense to her at the time. However, this combination of living alone and far from family, plus the difficulty asking for and receiving help, mixed with her capacity for deep denial, this clearly was not going to end well. And so when she called us that day, it almost felt like a blessing in a way that we could come and be with her it could have easily been otherwise. Over the course of a few days, everything shifted. My dad and I drove down to pick her up and take her to the doctor. The doctor suggested that she had had a mini-stroke and that this was very likely not the first and that she could not continue living alone. So my grandmother came to live with my parents and me, And after a couple of days with tears in her eyes, she told us that she could not go back to living alone. That day that she called us in fear turned out to be the last day that she would live in her home, in her town, or in the rural parts of Kansas, that she had called home for all her 90 years of life. I had not known much about dementia before this happened but I learned quickly, we all did. I was there, day and night, in the guest bedroom across the hall from Grandma, as day and night themselves became hard for her to understand, as clothing became difficult, as the tears came easily, as my grandmother constantly tracked my mother's whereabouts, asking, have you seen Fern? in an effort to nail down what was going on, and where she was, and who was there with her. My brother became the boy. I eventually became her and you. And the most painful part was watching my grandmother's disorientation and anxiety turn into terror as the lines between her waking world and her dreaming world blurred, and her days and nights were spent feeling profoundly frightened, as though she were living in a nightmare. It was awful. Our lives become sacrament whenever we bring the full force of our attention. Really? We bring the full force of our attention and we encounter pain and suffering that breaks our heart and threatens to undo us. This doesn't feel pure and holy and transcendent, like we imagine sacrament should. No, it feels messy and mucky and awful, and we would give anything to make it go away. So what's the next move in those times when you want to say, Preacher lady, you can just take the full force of your attention and shove it. (laughs) I don't have an easy answer. The only inroad I can seem to identify here is gratitude, which may sound completely absurd. But it seems that when we bring the full force of our attention through a lens of gratitude, through a lens of wonder, we can still find glimmers and snapshots of the holy, and we can make our living sacramental even in the midst of the complexity, pain, and mess. Mustering our gratitude can initiate an exchange with that goodness, fullness, the sacredness of living, that is known by many names and extends far beyond words. And maybe just for a moment, or a minute, or an afternoon, gratitude awakens us to our location in the flow of the sacred whole. And we remember that the religious life is not about wrestling reality into something that is permanently and thoroughly comfortable, beautiful, and sanitized, and then nailing it down so it can never betray us. It's about stepping into the flow of the river of life, the river that the ancients remind us is never the same river twice. And seeing it for all its mud, weeds, and stink, and still holding gratitude for its bubbling song and the light playing off the currents. As Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel writes, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement. Get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. When I could bring the full force of my attention through a lens of gratitude, moments of sacramental exchange still arose in the midst of misery. The tenderness of combing and rolling my grandmother's hair, a physical closeness with her that had never seemed possible before, the brief peace of sharing a cup of instant coffee and admiring the bird feeder, receiving warm greetings on Sunday mornings at my parents' Unitarian Universalist Church, which was one of the last public places where my grandmother could be seen, known, and welcomed with care and respect. And in the end, at the skilled nursing facility, when she could only moan, cry, and sleep, we were so blessed by the nurse who would hold my grandmother in her arms. Her arms were the arms of everyone who loved grandma during a time when none of us could offer her the care that she needed. This woman was truly an angel on earth. May we bring the full force of our attention and our gratitude to our days, that our lives may be lived as sacrament, engaging in the sacred, ever-flowing wholeness of this life we share. May our eyes open to the gifts waiting for us right where we dwell. May it be so, and amen.